Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So today, as we continue this series, it literally reminds me of who we are, our name, Emmanuel, God with us. And we talk about his appearing. And it literally is the most significant birth of all time. There's been so many paintings uh, made about this. If this will go up, if the first one doesn't go up, there it is. This is one by Fra Angelico, uh, if I say that right. It's in Florence currently. And you can see there, this is where the angel is appearing. So we have so many different famous uh, paintings and, and artists that have tried to capture this moment of Christ coming, Christ appearing. Uh, there's, there's other ones that as you research, you you learn about how even Joseph would receive a message from, from the Lord through an angel of what Mary had conceived was indeed of the Lord. And this is by Felipe de Champagne. Uh, it's in London. If you go to the National Gallery there, it's on display there, which is just remarkable to see how many different things have been depicted. And there's a, a little bit, this is the way I feel today right there. That would be the way I feel. We've had one of those weeks. I don't know about how, you're, how your week's been, but whew, sleep has been... Uh, it's been an accommodation here that we've... So this right here is really an interesting... I think this is an interesting uh, painting. It's in Belgium. Uh, and there in Brussels, you can go and see. And this painting here is about the census. This is where all the people... It's supposedly of the collection of people that are uh, arriving in Bethlehem uh, to be counted. It was... I don't know if you know much about Bethlehem. It was a pretty uh, impoverished city. It was very little known. It wasn't famous at all until Jesus arrived on the scene just kind of out in the sticks, so to speak, of, of Israel. And uh, here they are kind of depicting what that looked like as that census gathered. And this is um, a, a depiction that you can find in Florence by Benozzo Gazzoli, if I say that correctly. Is it going to pop up as my next one? I think it's trying to. There it is. So this is of the wise men. I wish it was a higher resolution, but you know there were more than three, correct? There were more than three magi. There, you, do you know why we only catalog three? Because there were three different gifts that are recorded. So we're recorded that there are three of them so they could give their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there was probably a pretty massive amount uh, that traveled from the far east. And they didn't arrive when Jesus was first born. He was probably around two years old um, when they showed up. It took him quite a time. Um, imagine how long that star was in the sky how long God was declaring the birth of his son and continues to declare it as we remember it in this season. Uh, and regardless of when you really believe that Christ was born, I probably would say that it was the end of August, early September, honestly, if I were to tell you historically when he was probably born. And if you choose to celebrate it in December 25th or uh, more on a, a calendar of, of when it might have occurred, regardless of that fact, it is the most epic birth recorded in all of history, that God would wrap himself in flesh for all eternity, for us to be able to have what we're going to talk about today, peace with God forever. And so some of the most epic thing, uh, things that have been recorded record this birth. I mean, it continues even into our generation. We see more have been recorded. I mean, this is probably one of the best renditions I've ever seen. I love the, the intro music uh, to, to Peanuts as they get into Christmas time is here, right? You know, they're ice skating and kind of going through. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story, right? It's a beautiful story. And so, you know, it's no Linus or Snoopy, but this is more of like where my speed, this is where my family is right now uh, coming up here. This is literally what my kids play with. Um, Joe and Levi have been tearing apart the little people nativity scene. We can put it together and about three seconds later, who knows where Jesus is at? Um, he's been dislodged and thrown across the room. And, you know, and here we are in... 2019, and the nativity continues to ebb and flow, right? I mean, you can throw pop culture in it. You can literally find anything and everything you want for the nativity scene today, which this might be, uh, that's appalling. That was before Kanye's conversion, by the way, that somebody made that, which is interesting. So it, it continues. Here's the hipster version of the nativity scene. Uh, can you imagine if it were in 2019 and Joseph's got his iPhone 11 and he's like, hashtag son of God, you know, whatever he's going to post with Jesus in it. Um, <laughs> There's the three wise men delivering gifts from Amazon Prime, no less. <laughs> That's the way the gifts come to my door. But there's so many different ways for us to be able to depict 
this coming, this unto us. And uh, I went from some of the most beautiful paintings to some of the most, anyways, uh, atrocious depictions of, of what might have happened. But regardless of the fact, we remember Christ coming to us, that unto us, a child has been born. A savior has been given unto the world. And, and Rick mentioned it last week as he kicked off our Advent series. He talked about how Advent simply means coming or appearing in Latin. And the word in Greek that he uh, put up on the screen was parousia, uh, talking about literally the, the coming or presence, the official visit of the Lord. And if you've heard me talk about it before, there's oftentimes prophecy in the scripture that has a meaning when the prophet is initially giving it. For instance, when Isaiah prophesies about something, it may be something that is literally going to be fulfilled with him and his family or Israel in that current day. And then there's also this future uh, tense of, of that prophecy being fulfilled potentially if it speaks of the Messiah, when Jesus would arrive. And then there's also, there's oftentimes a third layer of how that prophecy continues to be fulfilled in our life. And so I believe that the, the coming of the Lord is one of those. I believe that the Lord visited Isaiah in a very powerful way. It's amazing to see a prophet who would literally preach about the righteousness of God. And that yet when he has an appearing of the Lord, he says, woe is me. I believe he was a man that was living for God, that was not living a two-faced a two life that had one foot in the world and one foot serving God. I believe Isaiah was all in as a prophet. But when he saw the Lord in Isaiah 6, you can read the first five chapters about how he preached righteousness and holiness. But he sees, he has an appearing happening in front of him. And his only response as he sees the cherub fly by and crying holy is, woe is me. You know, there's this appearing that continues to us as we see Jesus, not just as a baby, but as a man, as someone who is coming again for us, as he will continue to fulfill this passage and reveal himself to us. And I think this is a beautiful part of, as we look at what the gospel really tells us about his coming, his advent. And Paul, as he writes 1 Corinthians, he tells us, what is the good news? What is the gospel? How do I even boil down what I would considered to be the theology of Christendom. And this is it. This is what Paul says. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you. He says of first importance, and they, he, he begins to list what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. So we've got the first one. And then he says in verse four, he says that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So he's already listed what we normally would consider the gospel. Okay, Michael, where are you going with this? Because I want you to look at how many times he talks about him appearing as a part of the good news. He says he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. So two different appearings. And after that, in verse six, he says he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. I'm talking about the advent of Christ. I'm talking about how important his appearing is and continues to be in each of our lives. He says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he says, finally, then he appeared to James. He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. See, the appearing of Christ didn't end just with his birth. It continued for the rest of his life. It continues for all of eternity. It has been from the beginning of the book to the end of the book that God would reveal and appear to his creation, that he would show up. And it's why we talk about that our, our three staples of who we are is that we would encounter, connect, grow, because it's when we encounter God that it is part of the good news of what he is doing in our lives. It is the testimony of who he is to each one of us. If you have met the Lord, if you have encountered him, if he has appeared to you, things have been revolutionized in your life. That is where transformation begins. We see the Lord for who he is. The, the blinders have been removed and the light has been shining through now. And I believe that this is so important as we remember this, this season of unto us, unto us, a child is born, unto us, a king has been given. And today we're going to continue to kind of talk about this series. Bethany, I may have to get you um, to help me. My, my tablet went down. If you can go ahead and just go to the next one. We're going to talk about peace today. And I think peace is one of those things that oftentimes um, we take for granted when we have it. And then when you don't, it's kind of like your health, right? You, you, you feel like your health is great until you don't have it. And then you're like, wow, I really wish I had that back. 
Uh, this has been one of those weeks my mom shattered her shoulder uh, a couple weeks ago and had reconstructive surgery. And then this week, my sister, um, it, she's been in the hospital after surgery on Tuesday. And Levi's not let us sleep a couple of nights. And Candy was up all last night. I was up the night before. It's just been one of those that you're like, boy, you really take for granted health until it's taken away. Kind of like peace, I believe. You know, you, you take for granted the fact that things are going well, that all is calm, all is bright, until it's not, right? Until it's not. And so I want us to look at that staple verse. If you'll go ahead, let me see if this will behave, Bethany. You can throw it up there if it doesn't. That next slide. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a Savior is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to talk about who God is as the Prince of Peace. And then go on to that next slide. He goes on in, in Isaiah 9 saying, His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity. And so literally, we're looking at God who is being prophesied about the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. But yet, it is not only who he is, but it is what he will bring. It is the ramification of his appearance. It is the, the fallout, the benefits, so to speak, of when he's involved in our lives. We will see his government, his reign and rule will bring peace, will bring peace. And I believe the Israelites really tried to understand this in their own way. And we'll talk about that. But one of my heroes of the faith that I love to talk about is John Wesley. I don't know if I've got any Wesley fans in the house, but he, as a kid, he was one of my favorites. I, I'm that nerd that as a 16 year old, I got all nine works of his volumes, journals and sermons that still have them to this day. Can't say I've read them all, but I love John Wesley. I love what he stood for, but his, his conversion, if you don't know much about it, he was very much, as, as you can gather, a, a, a methodical person. Thus the Methodist movement came out, came out of the wake of his life. But even before his conversion, I would say, he was already a man of discipline. He had, I don't know what your clubs were, your school that you were a part of, but he was a part of one called the Holy Club. Uh, other great minds that were a part of it, like George Whitfield, um, a notable name with the Great Awakenings here in, here in America. His brother, Charles Wesley, was a part of it. Uh, the two of them out of the 17 kids in his family that were part of this Holy Club there in Oxford. And so they had these rules and regulations that you had to keep. And they had these, we're going to fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're going to, you know, read scripture this amount of time. We're going to pray this amount of time. This was all predating Christ appearing to him and bearing grace upon him in his heart. This is what is beautiful about it. Because he talks about how he was reading Romans. He was actually reading uh, the intro uh, to Romans that Martin Luther had written a commentary about. And as he's reading this, John Wesley begins to read. And if you know anything about Luther and, and what he kind of posted on that great October day on, on the wall there, on the door, was all about faith, was all about that, hey, our works aren't going to add up to grace. And so as he's reading this, um, this, this, this work by Luther, Wesley is reading this and it begins to happen in his heart. It begins to happen to him at, at this Aldersgate uh, experience, as they call it, that Wesley would begin to have faith and grace shed abroad in his life. And he says that literally the, the famous quote is this. I want to read it to you. He says, I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It is in that moment that Wesley describes his, his experience as something happened in his heart where it was strangely warmed. And those are the words that, we that he expresses that I've heard repeated countless times. But for us, unless you've had an encounter with his appearing of his grace, you will have the gospel uh, to be hard to understand. You will find it that it is difficult to understand that someone would give up their life for your benefit. It's grace. It is nothing but grace. And for us to understand that Jesus would appear only for our experience of his grace, that he would show up over 2000 years ago so that we, this most, remembering this most epic moment in history could understand what, what Isaiah was prophesying and think about how it is going to bear peace in our life. And he talks about in that next slide, if you'll go to Isaiah 26, three for me. Moving forward, thank you. 
sorry, mine's going to be a little discombobulated. He talks about how, uh-oh, let me go back, Isaiah 26.3. I'm going to turn mine off because I think mine's messing up. He says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are, stay, are steadfast because they trust in you, because they trust in you. And as I mentioned, Jesus was anticipated for centuries before his arrival. And the common Jew believed uh, that this Messiah would arrive on the scene and finally set them free from all the bondage and slavery that they had experienced. They thought that that was the peace that he was going to bring. And, and really, the, the bondage and the slavery were just a side effect of their choices of disobedience in their relationship with God. What they needed more than anything was peace between them and God. They didn't need to continue to come and make sacrifices over and over, but they didn't get that. They didn't understand that everything that the law and the prophets had been declaring to them was pointing to their need for this Messiah to once and for all end the need for a sacrifice system, that they needed peace more than any other area between them and God before they could ever see peace in the rest of the world around them. And I want us to look at, at how the coming one was full of peace and, and what he brings to us as benefits when we embrace and encounter his grace is peace in our own lives. So think about this great truth that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he is peace. He is the prince of peace. He is Christ, the peace of Advent, peace defining his, per his person and character more than just what he does or what he brings into our life. It is who he is. And so that is why I believe Isaiah chapter 9 declares him as such. And our experiential understanding of peace is so temporary. You think about the peace in your own life. You think about when things are going fine. Things are great, right? In my house until something breaks and I don't know how to fix it. I do not have peace in that moment. This morning, I was a little concerned because I got into the shower and I had no hot water. And then I realized my wife took a really long hot shower. And I was, I was looking at the water heater. I was like, oh no, it's leaking. It's probably broken. I got to get faith. Because I don't know how to fix that stuff. I don't have peace in that area. But oftentimes in our own lives, we translate what we can fix to something that we can shore up, that we can prop up, that we don't need God's grace for, and thus can't experience his peace. But when finally we're like, oh God, I can't do this. Then God can move in with his grace and the benefit will be his peace. And I think about that even with the kids that we've had through our home, because peace is a side effect, a side effect of, of experiencing God's grace. And as many of you know, for the last three, uh, three and a half years, we've been fostering and um, I've, I've looked at the number of babies we've had. I think it's six or seven, like we've had in, like babies through our house over that period of time. Um, and each one of them have come from different biological families. They've all had a different uh, exposure to different th uh, just drugs and, and, and life and circumstances. And uh, some of them have come from restraining order situation. I mean, and they've all come through our home. And one consistent thing I've noticed is that my wife's demeanor is able to begin a cycle of peace in their life. I watched this with Ricky and Dre when they first came into our home. I watched how Dre Sean was already a year old and Ricky was only five weeks. And she's a baby wearer. My wife's a baby wearer, um, partially because you can just get more done and the other because she just likes to provide that nurturing, comfort, uh, comforting in environment for him. And we watched how peaceful each one of these kids were as a result of the atmosphere that she was able to create. Now, I am not a baby wearer. They will be screaming when I'm wearing them because I get tense and they get tense. And, but my wife, her demeanor, the way that she's wired, she's great at it. And that's one of the reasons we've, we've intentionally selected to, to take in babies because that is just her forte. She's good at that. You've seen with, we had, uh, we had Ricky and Dre, and then a Levi came in when we opened our home. And right after Levi, um, there was Diana. And Diana and Levi were about the same size. And we just told people they were twins. We got tired of answering questions. And, but, but wearing them all, you just you started seeing this cycle that who we are, we beget and reproduce in others. And she began to reproduce that peaceful nature in those kids. And it was sad. I have to admit, we watched some of the kids go home back to an environment that wasn't that same type of environment. And that peace was beginning to unravel for those kids. So a lot of times what we experience is because who we're around. And if you're lacking peace, I'm telling you, you need to hang out with the Prince of Peace. It will rub off on you. You will begin to absorb the environment that he brings because of his nature, 
because of who he is. I try to hang out with my wife a little bit more so that some of my rough edges will, will get worn off and, and I'll have a little bit of shalom again in my life. But I love this verse here because I don't know if you, if you realize in the Hebrew, the way this is translated, it says you will keep in perfect peace. And that's a really, it's an odd translation. It is the same word in Hebrew used twice. It is shalom. I don't know if you, you've probably heard shalom. It was a common greeting. Uh, shalom, uh, I mean, you would literally say the Lord bless you, give you peace. Um, and so here it is. You will keep in shalom, shalom. You will literally just keep in peace, peace. And it's for emphasis of saying you will be kept in peace, peace, perfect peace. The peace that only God can bring when your mind is stayed on him, when your trust is fully in the one who can do it all, who can provide you peace, the Prince of Peace. So if you're lacking peace, I want to tell you, go all in, put your chips in the middle of the table and say, God, I'm trusting you and you alone. I'm not going to try to spin my wheels anymore and understand that I can't do what you have already done. That's the good news, folks. That's the gospel that Jesus has provided a way for us to have peace and rest for our hearts and souls. Hang out with the Prince of Peace with me this week. And the peace we experience in this life, I believe it has less to do with this mindfulness, but more to do with the one with whom we are mindful of. And what do I mean? It has more to do with the object of our thoughts and attentions than it does with the fact that we're just kind of redirecting them from one thing to another. But know that it's fixed on the Lord. That is where we begin to experience eternal peace. It has to do with his very nature as the peacemaker that brings us peace when we fix our thoughts on him. Have you ever been anxious about anything? I sure, yeah, I sure have. You know, when uh, Ellie first came home, our, my oldest, she was four pounds, six ounces. We're new parents. We didn't know they were supposed to be bigger than that. We didn't know what we were doing. I remember the first night sitting on the same couch we have now and I fall asleep and she's tucked in my arm and I wake up to a thud. And I'm like, oh no, we've broken her. <laughs> she's, she's good to, to the most part, for the most part that I can tell. But you, it's so many things that when they start, you, you're like, I don't know how to do certain things like to take care of kids. They didn't, come, they didn't come with a manual. I didn't grow up learning how to change my oil, fix things in the house. I just didn't grow up in that kind of home. I wish I did. But when something goes wrong in the house, I, I get anxious. I get anxious because I don't know how to fix it. And, and maybe in your own life, spiritually, like when relationships start going wrong, when there's things that you can't control, if you're anything like me and you wish you could, you get anxious, you start getting fretful, you start getting worrisome. And the peace, it's out the door. It's out the door. But the good news is, is that we can give it all to the one who is the great problem solver, the great peacemaker. And that when I finally do, we saw this when I think it was year three, we we're in our house. I had taken a group of youth down to Atlanta to a conference down there called the Ford Conference. And we're driving home, we just left, and Candy has come home from an early morning service of church with water pouring through the ceiling in the garage. And she's like, what do I do? You shut the water off first. That's what we're gonna do first. So kind of walked her through where to pop things open and shut it off. Our house had been struck by lightning while she was at church. We had no idea what had happened. We had to piece things together to figure that out. Had struck the fence, had traveled around our fence, jumped through the AC unit, popped it. Our neighbors were able to tell us like when it happened because everybody's tables and everything shook in the neighborhood. And it traveled through that AC unit line uh, and then jumped to a, a water line and, and popped a big you know hole in that. And that's where the water was coming from. So that was all a side effect. I come home and I'm like, I don't know how to fix anything. You've already learned that about me. So I'm certainly not going to even start here. So we call insurance. Six months later, seven months later, right, it's finally getting fixed. But you learn, you learn that God's in control in these situations that you can't be in control of. You learn that there is someone that gives you peace to walk through things when your kids are born prematurely and you can't fix it. You can't do anything about it, but you can trust the one who can. And you begin to grow in your capacity of being able to trust and then experience his grace. And the benefit of that is experience his peace, his peace that is so real, his peace that wants to be in our life. And so I think about when Paul starts a lot of his letters, he starts them like this. He writes, he writes them to the audience of who he's speaking to. And he says, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it was a common uh, way to address, to start your letters in his day anyways. But for him to couple those two words together, grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ was so intentional. It, it wasn't a common thing at the time to put it with those two words right there at the beginning, but it became a staple for him because that's what he understood is that when we first experience God's grace, we will then also know his peace. You see, grace stresses God's character and man's sinfulness, while mercy stresses God's strength and man's helplessness. Grace finds its necessity in the fact of God's holiness and in the sinfulness of man, and also in the nature of God as the creator and man as the creature. Grace is opposed to and excludes any idea for works or merit. Works done as a means of blessing or as a payment for what is done. Just as we saw with Wesley's experience and, and mine as well, we can't earn that grace that we so desperately need. It is something that we simply receive and then we can experience his peace. More often than not in my spiritual life, when I don't have his peace, it is because I am doing, I am doing this. I'm spinning my wheels and I am working, trying to understand and express his grace. I'm trying to, to earn that grace or to squeeze out that grace out of my life towards others. And it doesn't work that way. It is a free gift that we receive. It is a free gift that once we have received it that way, can freely give it. Freely received, freely given, Jesus would say. When we think we have to earn it, then we will put that on others as well. They have to earn it too. And that's not God's measure. That's not the way his economy of grace works at all. And for us, we then bring in this atmosphere where peace is no longer even allowed because they have to earn our grace or God's grace. Or, and that's not the economy scale. We want to express his grace and peace in the fullness of how it was intended. And that's the good news of the gospel. If you'll go to Luke 2, 14, I love what the angels declare on that Advent night. They declared in song to the shepherds who were watching their flocks that night that Jesus had been born. And they declared through song, they, said, they sang this, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That word favor there could also be loosely translated as his grace, on whom his grace rests, who have received literally favor, an unmerited gift here understood in the Greek is that. And so this unmerited gift literally is where we're going to find his peace. If you're looking for his peace, I'm telling you, receive his free gifts. Ex express that you need desperately what you can't provide for yourself that only he can and watch how he begins to move in with peace into your life again. The one being born was indeed the promised one, the Messiah who would restore all things. And the angels sang it in exhilaration for all to give glory to him. Look what he has done, they would say. And the benefit is to all of us who will receive this unmerited favor expressed through this peace. If you look at Ezekiel 34, I want us to look at how Ezekiel would speak nearly 600 years before Christ and say about the one to come. He says this, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, speaking of the Messiah, and he will tend them and he will tend them and, and be their shepherd. Go on to verse 24. And I, the Lord, will be their God. and My servant David will be prince among them. Where have we heard that before? He will be the prince of peace. He will be this king that will reign and rule with righteousness and justice. He said, I, the Lord, have spoken. And then verse 25, I will make a covenant of what? Of peace with them. His covenant that is extended to us, the promises and the benefits of it come with peace. And to get rid of the savage, of the savage beast, the things that have wrecked our lives so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. He's bringing us into this spiritual promised land, this place of rest for our souls, which to me in 2019 is one of the greatest things that we could declare from the rooftops from the gospel is that everything you are looking for, the things that you're trying to find in this life, in this world, it is only found in him. The peace that you have been so desperately longing for, it is found in the one that was promised over 2,000 years ago, appearing still to man today. He will bring us peace. 
And Malachi would also say nearly 450 years before Christ, he would say in Malachi 2.5, he would say, my covenant was with him, speaking of the Messiah, a covenant of life and peace that he would make with Israel. He says, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Here again, he's talking about this covenant, this promise of the one that would come through Jesus being a covenant of peace. And the people of Israel, they expected this peace to come, but from delivering them from this, this Roman rule, this government that had been so tyrannical over them and taxed them and, and that they had given themselves to the Babylonians and then to all these different countries because of their disobedience, they're thinking, finally, a Messiah will show up and set us free. Yes, but not in the way that you have interpreted it. Jesus wants to show up in your life and maybe you're looking for him to fix all your problems. But the first problem he's going to fix is the relationship between you and God. And then when he starts to work in our lives and we think that all the peace that we need is going to happen when he shows up. Yes, eventually it might. It might look like you had expected. But for Israel, they falsely interpreted the way that it was going to play out for them. And we do the same today. We think that when Jesus shows up in my life, this is going to get better and this is going to change and that's going to be right and I'm going to have this and this is going to happen. Maybe, maybe those will be the ramifications, the blessings, the fallout of his involvement in your life. But first and foremost, he wants peace between you and him. And that's what has been broken. That's what has been severed. And all the other peace that we experience, personal peace, relational peace, even national peace, it starts and ends with peace with God. Peace that doesn't vary or fluctuate with circumstances, peace that is not objective, I'm sorry, or subjective, but it is permanent and lasting. That is what God gives us because it rests upon who he is, his divine nature. You know, I think about the peace that Jesus brings into our life is very real. And we think that sometimes, I hear it so often in almost a false gospel, that once you come to the Lord, you're no longer going to have these types of troubles or give this and you'll earn that. There's this, this you know, quid pro quo, this, this you give this, you'll get that with, with God. And it doesn't work that way. When we have peace with God, we will begin to see his peace work out into every other area of our life. But it isn't guaranteeing that we're never going to go through hardship again. It isn't guaranteeing that there's not going to be turmoil or struggles or things that we don't understand why they happen. We live in a fallen world, but we still have a sovereign God and one that will bring peace to us first and foremost with the Lord himself. And I think about in the, in the garden, how that was severed for them. And the first thing they did, what was it? They covered themselves. You know, the reason that you have to do laundry is because of the fall, right? That's, it all goes back there. And that, I believe that's one of, the, one of the biggest curses we still deal with, at least in my house, is laundry, the piles of it. And, and here they are. We still try to cover ourselves and hide the parts that we don't think can be exposed to him because we're afraid of rejection and won't receive peace. We won't receive acceptance for who we are. And so instead, we, we automatically try to cover that sh with shame and guilt. We try to hide those areas that won't be accepted for who we are because before the Lord, how could we do that? And we don't experience his grace because we won't receive it into those areas of our lives. And then we don't experience his peace because grace and peace always go hand in hand. They always go hand in hand. The peace that Jesus brings into our lives is very much that same good news it is not something that we can earn. It is not something that we can earn. Look at Romans 5, verse 1 with me quickly. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled us. He has justified us. He alone can give us peace with God because only Christ can bring true forgiveness of our sins. Thus, it is our responsibility to simply trust and obey, to believe in him, to put our faith in him. And the peace we need is the peace of his appearing, the peace of salvation that only the Prince of Peace can give. You know, there was a, there was a, a time in my life that I work in, a non, in the nonprofit world, and there, there was a series of books that came out about 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, 
kind of questioning the whole model of benevolence, talking about uh, when helping hurts and toxic charity and different different books with those types of titles. And we begin to read them. And, and I believe everything should be really analyzed and, and questioned. And, and more than anything, it's usually motives, right? It's usually what has what, what is behind the gift or what you're expecting, or is it out of insecurity? Or are you, you know, living out of shame and thus doing things for others? And, and there's a lot of things that get involved when you get into a benevolence, uh, a benevolence movement, so to speak. And, and, and even our generation now, the millennials are very much about justice issues. But all these things detached from the gospel still leave people devoid of hope. And for me, as we begin to kind of read some of these books and talk about them with some of our big church partners, they stopped doing things such as turkey giveaways, where one year they gave away, you know, 750 turkeys and the next year they're giving out zero. They literally they read these books and they threw the baby out with the bathwater type of deal. And we're like, okay, I, I, we, we get that we need to reevaluate that if our helping is becoming enabling in, in, in all these types of scenarios, but we need to kind of figure out the process to get there. And there were some of them that slowly, they're like, you know, that probably wasn't the right thing to do. That wasn't the right way to handle it. And so now this year, which was really neat, I'm so glad Tara's not in here. She would, she would be pretty upset. But we, we actually got 60 turkey baskets from one of those churches that had ditched the whole um, you know, movement of giving them out. And they decided that like, we're going to disperse turkey baskets, but not just carte blanche to anybody who wants one. We're going to do it through organizations we have relationships with, who have relationships with people who know where real needs are, and then can do it in relationship. And it builds equity to that relationship versus just, here it is, turkey. We got turkey baskets for anybody that wants a turkey. And, and so we realized that this year when we received our, our 60 frozen turkeys that were frozen to each other. They were not individually wrapped. That was not supposed to be the case. And I'm not going to tell you what we did with them. So hammer and chisel. Anyways, so we, we get, begin to hand these out. And uh, thank you, Tara and Christian, my staff who did that. We begin to hand these out. And the thanks that was reciprocated on the other end, you can tell when something is expected. You know, you give someone something once, Usually there's express gratitude. Give it to them twice. They begin to expect it. Give it to them three times. Usually you're enabling them. You know, there's like, there was this whole model from when helping hurts. And, and you begin to see that there was such gratitude. There was no expectation. We, because we haven't done it before like that. And, and it enhanced our relationship. We began to have opportunities to minister to families in ways that we hadn't before. This is just a week and a half later. And we've been able to, to be able to find other felt needs, other spiritual things. And, and I'm not going to get into the argument of, well, you know, you paid their KUB bill and now they're going to expect you to pay the next one. You know, they still have their cell phone and they don't have their lights on. Believe me, there's a cycle of poverty that needs to be addressed in all of our lives, whether we realize it or not, spiritually, socially, or mentally. We have cycles of poverty of how we handle stress. End of story. But Jesus, when we begin to experience his grace... And there's no expectation. I did nothing to earn it. We begin to also experience his peace. And these families, they were able to be so blessed because there was no expectation and they received it with grace. But one of the things that they put up there, will you throw up a slide where it talks about um, our reconciliation of relationships? This came out of the When Helping Hurts model. One of the authors came up with where we typically see poverty as material. You drive through downtown, you're on Broadway, you're going through the missions and you're like, I can see poverty where I work in a lot of, you know, some of the developing area, you know, the, the housing projects, I can see poverty. We think poverty is visible this way, materially, when poverty is so much bigger than that. Poverty is so much bigger than material poverty. Material poverty is a side effect of poverty in so many other areas. And so what I love about this, this whole model was where our first poverty is that, that God came to restore and bring his riches was between us and him. So between us and God, and this is what we see in what we're talking about today is that Jesus came to make reconciliation, to bring peace first and foremost between us and him. Then we can talk about the rest. And that's what their model was. Once you have this dealt with, then we can talk about the poverty with self. How many of you know that we don't have peace with ourselves? We, we suffer from this, uh, this depletion of, po we have poverty, a impoverished mindset of how we experience and express God's grace to ourselves. 
And thus we have some anxiety. We don't experience his peace. And then how we can give it to others. How we can, how we can share what God has given to us, through us, to those around us. And that becomes really difficult. We're going to see a lot of family, I'm sure, this time of year that we don't normally see. Some of them we're estranged from. Some of them, it's not the best of terms. But we're asking God to do this. God, where you have restored things between me and you. And Lord, I'm sensing that you're doing it. You're helping me be more self-aware. And I'm experiencing who you are. I'm knowing who you are. And I'm knowing who I am as a result of that. God, would you help me experience it in my relationships, especially in these difficult ones that aren't whole yet? God, I want to see them whole. That's the Lord we serve. That is where I believe God wants to appear this season in your lives. He wants to show himself and encounter through you and to you himself in your relationships. And then it's the rest of creation, which I believe is just a good, it's a good model. The rest of creation, we begin to see God's grace flow into our jobs, the way that we manage our resources, the way that we engage with budgets, what we have, the the buy and exchange. We become better at all things in our life because of our understanding of our relationship with God again, the restoration that has happened with ourselves. We're seeing mending occur and restoration in relationships with others. And we're able to become better stewards of what's in our life around us. I think this is such a great model. And and I want to express how I believe that oftentimes we can keep peace out of our lives. And and this is what he has declared to us from the mountainside. In Matthew 5, 9, you'll see this. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has given the Beatitudes. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And you've heard me say before that what God does to us, he also wants to do through us. And he is the great Prince of Peace, but now he is also wanting us to go as his ambassadors and see his peace come into different pieces of the earth, your earth and your earth and your earth and the world around us, that we can see the restoration of mankind as Christ appears to them and through us. And so a few areas that I feel like it can become difficult to see peace maintained as we talked about those areas of self, excessive self-blaming, thinking everything is 100% your fault. This is one of the difficult things that I've struggled with through my life, that whether it was a failed relationship or something that I just did, I messed up. It was an accident or that I can't always prevent bad things from happening. That sometimes life just occurs. Sometimes there is responsibility I need to take. But knowing where to draw that line and not falling out of his peace in that process, because mentally strong folks like us, we will be able to have appropriate accountability, recognize responsibility for our choices, but not bearing burdens that we were never created and designed to burden, to carry. Another one with self that I see oftentimes is the pursuit of perfection. Excellence is healthy. Perfection and expecting perfection is an uphill battle. You will not gain that in your kids. I'll testify to that one. (laughs) or in yourself. Perfection is not the same as excellence. And the Lord has called us to excellence, but only he is perfect. And we, we can know how to fall down and get back up. We can fail, but we can fail forward. We can walk through mistakes and allow them to be strengths and not weaknesses. And we can help others around us do the same. We're in a world where you can't, you can't mess up without someone wanting to burn you at the stake. Something happens at a university and the president uh, is, is asked to resign as soon as it happens. You know, there was no, uh, you know, there was no unity of all cultures in this. You know, you must quit and be fired. You know, there's no room for learning or growth in our culture right now. Somebody must die is, is the way that we approach all failures. And if we, if we start saying that this way, that will not end well. We never grow. We never give opportunity for apology and acceptance of fault. We never give ourselves room to say, you know what? I'm still growing. Thank you for giving me room. And even pointing that out, there's no grace. There's no grace given and we can't experience peace. What about complete self-reliance? Oh, I can do it. I can do everything. You know, acting tough is not also being strong. Those are not the same things. And I think for many of us, we don't experience this peace because we have to muster it up and we're squeezing out what is intended to be a fruit of the spirit in our own flesh. And it will never work that way. And as, as those that are committed to the Lord, we are not afraid to admit when we need help. Remember, we encounter the Lord, but we connect to one another. It is how we grow together by being a community and a body of believers. Amen.
Another one is we talk about others and how we engage. Oftentimes when we are seeing peace literally drain out of our lives, we need to recognize that there might be some folks that need to drain out of our lives as well. We need to create healthy boundaries. There may be some toxic people and relationships that this isn't the time, this isn't the season, they're not at the right place to be in our lives because we're not gonna be able to reach them and they're just gonna pull us back to where we used to be. And we need to be able to admit that because as people who are following the Lord, we may engage so much energy trying to change toxic people that are not in a place that they can be transformed. They're not ready to accept his grace for their lives and you can't force it on them. It will drag you back. It will drag you down. We need healthy emotional and physical boundaries to know God's peace. What about the victim mentality? Our world is so full of this right now, thinking that the world and the people in it are out to get us. It will prevent us from being our best and walking in his peace. Thinking that all of our problems or external circumstances have nothing to do with us. We have to take some responsibility. There's, there is this, this fine line that we dance, but to know his peace, we're able to say, you know what? I made these choices. This is the fallout. But even in the worst of times, I'm going to trust the Lord. When I can't control things, I'm not going to look to blame. I'm going to look to trust. Those are very different ways of responding to the same set of circumstances. Now, we don't want to give you a bullhorn in front of your mouth just so you can be heard because you've been a victim to something. We want you to be a victor and then watch your testimony speak. Amen? Amen. That's the Lord's way, not our culture's way. What about grudges? This is our relationship with others. We may think that, man, when we're holding on to something, we had that, our relationship series and talked about forgiveness uh, for a few weeks, and that is one that is so crucial to our spiritual growth. But when we talk about the peace that we want in our own lives, holding a grudge isn't going to hurt someone else. It's only going to hold us back. We need to be able to forgive and release them so that we can continue to flourish. Otherwise, that grudge will reduce our spiritual life. That's not God's plan for us. And as we talk about with creation this time of the year, uh, my wife and I, we sat down. We're like, okay, we were done Christmas shopping in August, all right? We don't need to buy anything else. We bought throughout the year things that were on sale, and we spend the rest of the year convincing our kids that's what they want. It's great. Y'all take some notes. Take some notes. Christmas manipulation, right? No, my parents did that as I grew up. I remember one year I wanted a fire truck, or so I was told in January of that year, right? <laughs> I wanted a fire truck. And so I wanted a fire truck, and I was so excited. It was there because it had been on sale after Christmas the year before. It's the same with my kids. But we try to impress people. Hey, we're done Christmas. Stop buying. Don't get caught up in, the, in just the frenzy of, of shopping and buying and the ads and the gotta haves, the wants, the not needs. And we try to impress people that we don't even like, don't even know, wearing things that we were like, well, I, would I made fun of people for wearing that. Now, I'm, now I want it. And, and so now depending on, we're depending on the admiration of others instead of God who would tell us that, we are, that we are, we're sufficient in Him, that we have everything we need. And so we want to say, hey, I'm fine the way I am with what I have in my means. We're going to live a simple life. We don't need all of this to be able to do and be who He's called us to be. We can experience His peace when we begin to make amends and recognize these areas that will keep us from experiencing it because His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Bruce, would you come join me? Play just a minute. I hope that our conversation about God's peace and what he has shown up to give us will help you this season. I hope that you'll recognize how attached it is to his grace for us. I hope that you'll see that even in our testimony of encountering him continues throughout our life. There are so many areas of my heart that his good news is still working its way into. It's still working his way into my relationship with my wife and my children. It's still working uh, its way into the good news of that he is enough, that he is all wisdom and understanding for the way that I run the organization where I work and that we relate to the kids in our communities, that his good news for you, it started, but it's not over. And so as we're continuing to ex experience his grace, watch for his peace to flood into those same areas. Let his grace go into every area of your life and watch his peace on the hills of it flood in right after it. It is a beautiful thing. Would you pray with me?
Father, I thank you that peace is more than just a state of mind. It's more than just a calm or a content feeling. Lord, it is eternal. And it is something that we won't base on our circumstances because we know that you are constant. Lord, we don't want an artificial peace. We don't even want secondhand peace that someone else hands down to us. God, we want to experience you for ourselves. Lord, I ask that this week for every single person that's here, that you would encounter us in a real way, that you would reveal yourself through your Holy Spirit, shedding abroad in our hearts your great love. Lord, I pray that we would come to an understanding, literally a revelation of your grace, the mystery that you would come and dwell within us. Jesus, give us strength, as I know there are folks that are here that are probably, that are walking through some dark and, and uh, just struggling times and circumstances. God, in relationships, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to experience your grace, to accept your grace, and to see your peace at work in our hearts. If you would say this morning, Michael, I need prayer. There are some things that I'm walking through that peace is the furthest thing from it. And I need God's grace and peace in my life in this area. Michael, would you please pray for me this week? Would you just raise your hand so I can be praying with you and for you? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? God, I know that all of us could say we need to know your grace more and relate to you rightly in every area of our lives it just doesn't happen all the time. But God, today I'm asking that there would be just a special baptism of your grace and understanding upon those that are saying, Lord, I need it. I need it in my job. I need it in my family. I need it in my relationship. I need it with self. I'm having trouble. I'm struggling with forgiving myself, with letting myself off the hook and, ex and accepting your grace. God, would you help us to fall into that rhythm of your grace, understanding that you have appeared to us because you love us. We accept this free gift. And we thank you, God, that we can be at peace with you. We can be at peace with ourselves. We can have peace with others. Lord, help us to come back and fall back on your grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that this week we will see your face shine upon us in our going and in our coming. Lord, I pray your blessings upon everyone that is here. Pray, Lord, that they would walk in your favor and, Lord, would shed abroad in this world your peace, your peace, Lord. Amen and amen.